Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, it is an honor and a privilege just to come into your presence today. You are an awesome and a great God, and we just want to acknowledge that you are the sovereign God of the universe. And because you are Lord, you have the right to be the Lord of our lives. So Father, I pray in the next few moments as we gather around your word that you would just open our hearts. Lord, that your spirit would just speak into our lives. Lord, that you would give us open hearts, open minds, ears to hear what it is that you want us to receive this morning. And Father, I pray that we will be a people who won't just simply be hearers of the Word of God, but that we would be doers of your Word. That we would take what we learn here this morning and that we would apply it to our lives, Lord. That we may grow into a deeper and a more meaningful relationship with you. Lord, that we may honor and glorify you more in our lives. Father, this morning as we come to this time, I pray that we would see you high and lifted up and that we would worship you for who you are. Because indeed, Lord, you are worthy of our worship. And Father, we claim the promise of your word today where you teach us that where your word is preached and taught, it will not return void. So Father, we are already anticipating how you are going to use your word to work in our hearts and our lives today. So guide us through your spirit, Lord. We pray that you would be in complete control of everything that happens here this morning. And we pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take the opportunity to greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is so good to see you in the house of the Lord, and I hope that you have come today anticipating uh, uh, God is going to speak into your heart and into your life. I hope you've come anticipating seeking to hear what it is that God really wants to say to you today as God's people. This time, this morning, was a wonderful time of worship. Uh, I just enjoyed Brother Andy so much as he led us before the throne of God in song. Uh, and I just appreciate him leading us even again in our second service. I know this is his first Sunday, and so I am very glad to have him here, and I'm glad to have him leading us. You know, early on when I learned that Brother Andy was coming, we made a connection together, and we realized that while we were together at New Orleans, or while we were at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, we were there. Our time overlapped with one another, and we even had friends. We had a great time of just visiting and getting to know one another, and actually the church that he came from, I preached at it one time for two months in the summer when they were without a pastor before he arrived there, and so it's a very small world, isn't it, and so it's very good to have him you know, I've, I've been anticipating this morning, I really have, with just a, a sense of expectancy, with a sense of joy in my heart. It seems like it has been forever since they sent or they called me on the phone and said, we're inviting you to come and preach in view of a call. But you know, there's been that kind of music thing, and it's been kind of holding us up. But now that he's here and in place, you know, we can go ahead and we can kind of move forward now. No, really. I appreciate Brother Andy. I appreciate that he has a great sense of humor and that I've had the opportunity to get to know him. And I do want to say this. I know that I conveyed this yesterday uh, in the time that we had together in our question and answer time. And I did this morning, but I also want to convey it to you as well. I want to share with you how much I really appreciate uh, the committee. 
Uh, I've enjoyed getting to know each one of them and working with them and hearing their hearts. You know, I want to commend you as a church. I don't think you could have chosen a greater group of people to represent you. I really believe that with all my heart. These men and women were really seeking God's face. And I believe as they sought God's face and as my family sought God's face, that is what has brought us here this morning. And I, I'm very convinced of that. And so I appreciate them. I knew the first time that I met them that I was really going to enjoy them. And the reason I knew that is because every time we got together, there was always food and coffee. And so you have won my heart if, uh, you know, if you have food and coffee. I knew right away, I said, these are good Baptist people. If they have every meeting with food, and, and on several different occasions, we, I was sent home with food. One morning, we're up early in the morning, my children and I, we are gathered around uh, the bar there, the, the kitchen bar in our home where we're staying at, and we were eating, uh, um, we call them jalapeno bombers. Do you know what I'm, I'm talking about? It's those uh, jalapeno peppers wrapped in bacon stuff, which we're eating them for breakfast one morning because Alan has graciously sent us home with a plate of them. And so we were just enjoying ourselves, but it was really a wonderful time. And I have just enjoyed getting to know them. I want you to know that Yesterday was full. I mean, I really enjoyed the time I had with the church, and then I enjoyed yesterday evening with the staff and with the deacons and getting to know their families better and, and just getting to know all of them. It was a sheer privilege and a joy. And I want, I want to say this to you as well this morning. I am humbled by being here. I, I really am. I mean, for me, this is an amazing experience. It's really the, almost the culmination of a journey that my family and I started uh, back in May when we really began to seek God's face in what He would have us to do in the future. And, and I will tell you, this was not on our horizon. We never, ever expected to be here preaching in a view of a call today. Now, don't misunderstand me when I say that. I am convinced it is God who has brought us here, and God has made that very clear through the process. I want you to hear me say that, and I believe the process that the committee put together was a very godly process that has guided us to this point. And so I want you to hear me say that. We just never anticipated when we came back to America that one day we would be standing here and we'd be preaching in view of a call. So it is a great privilege and a great honor to stand before you this morning. I also want you to know that when the committee called me, I don't remember, I think it was the week of Christmas or right after the week of Christmas, and they shared with me, Brother Jeff, we want you to come and preach in view of a call on the 4th of February. Uh, and we prayed about that, and we just knew this is where God was leading us. I began right then praying for this day. I began to seek the Lord about first, what did he want me to share? But I also my, full, uh, my prayer was, was very specific. Uh, it was twofold when, when I prayed. My prayer to the Lord was first, God, help me not to see that Sunday as an audition. I didn't want to view me coming here on a Sunday morning auditioning for a position in, in the church. I never wanted that. My prayer all along was is that this morning when I stood before God's people, 
It would be a continuing confirmation of the process that we were walking through. A continuing confirmation of the Holy Spirit speaking into the hearts and the lives of His church and in the hearts and the lives of my parents, I mean of my family and myself, and guiding us into the future unified as a body knowing that this is where God has brought us and this is where God is leading us. And that is my prayer this morning still, is that God would continue to lead us and guide us and direct us as we look to the future. The second was this. My great desire was, is for this to be a time of worship to really gather around God's Word and through the study and the teaching and the preaching of God's Word that we would stand before a holy God and that we would worship Him for who He really is. I mean, think about it for a moment. We have been given the privilege of worshiping the sovereign God of the universe. The God who has flung the stars into the sky. The God who has placed the planets in the solar system. The God who spoke life into this world. We have the privilege of coming together as God's people and surrounding ourselves around His throne, around His Word, and allowing Him to speak into our life. Is there any greater privilege in the church than that? That is a great privilege. I think sometimes we take for granted the privilege that we have been given as God's church. I don't know, I know you realize this. I know we're all aware of this. There are places in the world where churches don't have the freedom to gather and worship. That's a reality. There's places you can travel to that proclaiming Jesus Christ will get you thrown in jail. Gathering together in an assembly of people will make you end up being in, in direct conflict with government that is over you. We have the privilege of being able to gather here this morning and worship the one true living God. I don't know about you, but I can tell you this morning, that that stirs my spirit when I think about the privilege that we have been given to come and to worship a holy God. That God loves you and I enough that He would take a personal interest into our lives. Can you fathom that for a moment? This holy, righteous God who loves us enough that He takes that kind of interest in our personal lives. He wants us to worship Him. So this morning, what I really want to do in the time that we have together, I want to just share with you a little bit of my personal story not a lot of it. And then I want to share with you uh, what my heart is for ministry. I want you to get to know me better. I want you to understand who I am and what it is that I am passionate about in life. I hope one of the things that you recognize is I am passionate about worship. I love God and, and I love to worship the Lord. In 1983, at Glorieta, New Mexico, I gave my heart and my life to the Lord. About eight or nine years later, here in Lumberton, Texas, off of Mitchell Road, or down the road in Lumberton, Texas, I'm always confused about where we are, but anyway, down the road, I remember getting on my knees at the edge of my grandmother's bed 
and surrendering everything that I had to the Lord. It is something that is vividly etched in my mind when I got on my knees that night or that morning at 3 o'clock and I said, Lord, here I am. You can have everything I have. You can take all that I am. All that I am and all that I have belongs to you. You can have me. And I remember even saying to him, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go in life. I'll even go to Africa if that's where you want me to go. I've learned something. You need to be careful when you pray those kind of prayers because one day God may take you up on it. And He did. Eventually, He sent my family to Zambia where we served for nine years or almost nine years with the International Mission Board. Man, before I went to Zambia, I just thought, I thought Africa was a country. And then I get there and I realize Africa's made up of a lot of different countries and what it really is is a continent. But I remember when that happened in my life and I gave control of my life to the Lord, God began to stir my heart. And He gave me a passion, really three passions in ministry. The first passion that He gave me was a love for His church. I love God's church. And I am convinced that God's greatest work will always be done through His church. And the reason I'm convinced of that is because Scripture teaches us that Christ died for the church. Have you ever noticed in Scripture that Jesus even refers to the church as His bride? Jesus is passionate about His church. Do you know what I'm saying, men? Tell me, men, aren't, weren't you passionate or aren't you passionate for your wife? Yes, I'm passionate for my wife. I love her. Jesus refers to the church as his wife. And Jesus or God has given me the privilege of pastoring three different churches, two here in Texas, one in Louisiana. And then he also gave me the opportunity to be a part of planting six different churches in international countries. And it has been a privilege to be a part of what God is doing in his church. And I'm convinced that God loves His church. And as I said earlier, I'm convinced God's greatest work will always be done through the church. The second passion that God has given me is a passion for the gospel. When I was at First Baptist Church, Buna, I preached through the entire book of Romans. And when I preached through the entire book of Romans... God changed my heart as I studied and I preached through that book. Perhaps there's no book in the Bible that gives us a clearer understanding of our salvation, of the gospel message. As a matter of fact, Paul opens Romans, the first chapter, with these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew then for the Gentile. He closes the book in chapter 15 by going on and saying that his great desire, his ambition in life is to preach Christ where Christ is not known. God used that verse in my wife, in my life, our family's life, to take us halfway around the world to plan our lives in Zambia to give people an opportunity to hear that gospel message. I am convinced at the very center of the church is this central figure of Jesus Christ and His story. 
I believe that with all of my heart. And no matter what God's church does, we should be lifting Him up and we should be pointing people to Jesus Christ. That should be our hearts. That should be our desires. That's what Paul said to the church at Corinth. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, the message that I received that I delivered to you of first importance was that Christ died for the forgiveness of sins. That Christ died, was buried, and he rose from the dead for the forgiveness of sin. It is the preeminent message. Listen, we are calling, as God's church, we are calling people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, if that is true, if the gospel message in Jesus Christ is preeminent, if He is at the center of the church, then the end goal of every ministry should be to make disciples. Isn't that true? Yeah. The end goal of every ministry in God's church should be to build people's lives. I like what one of my dearest friends in the ministry told me one time. He looked at me and he said, Jeff, I want you to know something. He said, I am a builder. Now, he wasn't talking about building a building. He's a pastor. He was talking about building people's lives, pouring into people's lives, making disciples. Isn't that what we've all been called to do? Do you remember the words of Jesus Christ, the very last words that he spoke to his apostles? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so I send you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them all things that I have taught you. Those are the very last words that Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples, was to go. Make disciples. Jesus Christ told his apostles, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can I ask you a question this morning? If a person isn't fishing, are they truly following? Jesus said, come and follow me, and the natural result of that will be, you will fish. Isn't that true? Yeah. It's not something we have to conjure up inside of us. It's not something we have to work up. It's a natural overflow out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. If I'm following, I'm fishing. If I ain't fishing, I ain't following. Do you see what I'm saying? That's biblical. So what I want you to hear me to say this morning, church, is this. God has called every believer, every follower of Christ, to be a fisher of men and a maker of disciples, to be building people's lives investing in them, helping them to be all that they can be in the Christ Jesus our Lord.
That is our goal. And that is one of our passions. So if the gospel ministry is at the center of God's church, if it is the preeminent message, then the end goal of every ministry in God's church should be to build people's lives, to make disciples, to see people grow in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, what I want us to do in the time that we have together, I want us to focus our attention upon this word, disciple. And I want us to think in terms of what does it truly mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Because my great fear is this, much of what is being preached in the world in which we live in today is not consistent with God's Word when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. And perhaps nowhere in Scripture do we have a better understanding of what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ than in the story, the narrative that I have chosen for us to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I would ask that you open them to John, the 21st chapter. John 21, and in just a few minutes we're going to begin reading in this passage of Scripture. But as you're turning your Bibles there, I want to just share with you a little bit about the background concerning this passage. A disciple is someone who is a learner. It is someone who attaches themselves or some uh, attaches themselves to a teacher for the purpose of learning a trade or a subject. Perhaps the modern day equivalent of a disciple is an apprentice. Did you realize In the four Gospels and in the book of Acts, the word disciple is used 264 times in reference to followers of Jesus Christ. 264 different times followers of Jesus Christ are referred to as disciples. Would you agree with me this morning when I say If that word appears 264 times in five books of the Bible, it has to be significant. Would you say that's true? Yeah. It has to be important for our lives. And as I said earlier, perhaps no passage of Scripture gives us a better understanding of what it truly means to be a disciple than this story that is found in John, the 21st chapter. But in order for us to understand exactly what is happening here in this passage of Scripture, we need to go back. We're going to have to take a trip back in the past, and we need to remember what was happening in the life of Jesus. If you remember, on the night before Jesus Christ died, He took two of His disciples and He sent them into Jerusalem. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to prepare an upper room, and then we're going to come in and we're going to share the Passover meal with you. Now, there was a lot of different events swirling around that night. When Jesus Christ gathered His disciples in that upper room, there are several prominent events that takes place. The first one is this. Jesus Christ takes this Passover meal and He gives it spiritual significance for His followers. He takes the bread and He says, this is my body. He takes the cup and He says, what's in this cup represents my blood. This blood would seal this new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus. But also, if you remember, in this upper room, there is an argument that is taking place among the disciples. Do you remember what is taking place? They're arguing over who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. So you know what Jesus takes the opportunity to do? He strips off His outer garment. He picks up a bowl of water and He begins to wash 
the disciples' feet. And through that, Jesus takes that object lesson and he teaches a very important spiritual truth to his disciples and even to us. He wanted them to understand about greatness in his kingdom. He wanted them to realize that his kingdom is different than the kingdom of the world. In his kingdom, what makes greatness is not the number of people who serve you, but the number of people you serve. It's what makes you great in his kingdom. Isn't that so contrary to what the world teaches us? Isn't it? And then right after that, you know the next scene appears and you know what takes place? Jesus reveals to his disciples who the betrayer is. Judas. He says, Judas, go take care of your business. And he sends him away. The last event that takes place in that upper room is an event between a dialogue between Peter and Jesus Christ. Do you remember the words of Peter? I remember the words of Peter, and the reason I remember the words of Peter is I feel oftentimes like Peter. I think I have the same disease that Peter has, and that's the foot-in-the-mouth disease. Do you know what I'm meaning? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I've done that quite a number of times. But remember what Peter says? Peter looks at Jesus and he says, It's Jesus. Even if all of the others forsake you, I will never leave you. I will never turn my back on you, Jesus. I will stick with you through the thick and the thin. I'm with you all the way. And do you remember what Jesus' uh, Jesus' response to Peter was? Oh, Peter. Satan wants to sift you. But Peter, I want you to know something. I am praying for you. And then Peter, I mean, then Jesus makes this announcement to Peter. He says, Peter, before the sun rises in the morning, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. I wonder what must have been going on in Peter's mind. Can you imagine that? I can't even fathom what he must have been thinking. So you know what happens? Jesus and the apostles go out to the garden. Jesus is arrested. And the guards from the temple are taking Jesus back to the place where he will be interrogated. And do you know where we find Peter? One verse says this. He was following Jesus at a distance. Did you get that? He had just been in the upper room with him. But now, he doesn't want to be seen with him. So what is he doing? Following him at a distance. And if we follow the rest of the narrative, the story in the gospel, you know what we find Peter doing? Peter's following him at a distance, and when they take Jesus Christ into the place where they're going to interrogate him, do you know where we find Peter? Warming himself at the fires of the enemy. Isn't that where he's at? Oh, yeah. And do you know what happens? Not once, not twice, but three times. I mean, Peter denies that he has ever even heard of this man, Jesus. Denies that he 
knows him. And if we understand in the original language, the last time that Peter denies Jesus Christ, he curses his very name. Can you imagine that? I mean, it was just hours before Peter made this great proclamation. Though all others forsake you, Jesus, I will stand by you. I will never leave your side. I will be with you through it all. And then the rooster crows. And you know what happens? Peter realizes what has taken place. Peter realizes that he has denied Christ. And as you can imagine, Peter is dejected. He has failed Jesus Christ miserably. Can you relate to where Peter is? Has there ever been a time in your life where you have failed Jesus Christ like that? I know there's been times in my life where I had an opportunity to really stand up and acknowledge who Jesus Christ was, but I was outnumbered, and rather than acknowledging who Jesus Christ was, I just kind of eased away. Am I the only one that's ever done that? So before we're too harsh on Peter, maybe we really need to stop and examine our own lives and ask ourselves the difficult question. Maybe some of you right now are still denying Jesus Christ. Maybe at your workplace, maybe you're in your school, maybe in your family to people you know. Rather than speaking up for Christ, acknowledging who He is, the Savior of the world, you have turned your back, you've turned a deaf ear, and you don't, you don't want to speak about Him. Isn't that denying Christ as well? Isn't that true? Yeah. The only thing left for Peter to do was to go back fishing. And that's what happens in our story. But I want you to hear me say something. Jesus Christ wasn't finished with Peter. Now, aren't you grateful for that? Because I can't count the number of times I've messed up. But Jesus, in His grace and His mercy, you know what He does? He goes and hunts Peter down. Isn't that crazy? The sovereign God of the universe in human flesh goes and hunts down a wayward sinner? But isn't that what Jesus does? What did Jesus say? The shepherd will leave the 99 to go and find the one that is lost. You see, that's what's so great about our Savior. And overlooking the Sea of Galilee on a beach after an all-night of fishing, you know what Jesus does? He comes out to the shore. He sees them in the boat. They are fishing. They've been fishing all night. They're tired. They're worn out. They have caught nothing. And Jesus shouts from the shore, and He says, Hey, guys, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Now, I'm going to tell you, if I'd have been the guy in the boat, I'd have been like, now, who is that guy? I've been out here fishing all night. I've caught nothing. This guy shows up, and now he's going to tell me I need to fish on the other side of the boat? But the apostles do it, and you know what happens? They have this amazing catch. And John recognizes who Jesus is. He tells Peter, it's the Lord. Peter cannot contain himself. He jumps in the water. He swims to shore so that he can be 
with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we have this great dialogue that takes place between Jesus and Peter. And I believe it's in this great dialogue that we're going to see three characteristics of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's begin reading right here in verse 15. Listen to what it says here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now I want us to stop right there because I believe it is in the question of Jesus Christ that we find this first characteristic of what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one, is, is one who makes Jesus Christ the priority of their life. A disciple is one who loves Jesus Christ supremely over everything else and everyone else in this world. In this passage of Scripture, John never reveals to us what it is that Jesus Christ is speaking about. Perhaps Jesus Christ looked over at those boats that aligned the shore with their nets draped over the top of them, and he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than the profession of fishing? Jesus, do you really, I mean, Peter, do you really love me more than the thrill of the catch? Or maybe he looked at all of the disciples that were right there around that fire, and he looked at them and he said to them, Peter, do you love me more than you love these men? Or maybe he just looked at them and said, Peter, is your love greater for me than these men's love is for me? We're never told in the passage of Scripture what it is that Jesus Christ was referring to. But I would, tell you this, uh, I would tell you this this morning. It doesn't really matter what Jesus Christ was referring to because it doesn't change the intent of the question. When Jesus Christ looked at Peter and he asked him the question, he was saying in essence to Peter, Peter, if you're going to be a follower of mine, if you're going to be my disciple, I must be the priority of your life. You must love me over everything else that this world has to offer. I have to be what's most important in your life. Isn't that what Jesus said on more than one occasion? You can't be my disciple if you don't hate your mother and father? Now, we need to understand, Jesus was not saying we had to literally hate our parents. That would contradict what is said in other places in God's Word. What Jesus Christ was saying is this, you have to love me more than anything else in life if you're going to truly be a disciple of mine. Let me ask you a question this morning. Can you honestly say that? Can you honestly, as you examine and evaluate your life, can you say to me this morning, can you say to the Lord today that Jesus is what I'm most passionate about in life? It is Jesus Christ that receives the most of my affection in life. I love Him more than anything else. I love Him more than my job. I love Him more than the money I have. I love Him more than my, ma my marriage. I love Him more than my children. I love Him more than my profession. Jesus is what drives my life. It's what I'm most passionate about in life. Jesus looked at Peter and he said to Peter, Oh, Peter, do you truly love me more than these? 
And that is a question that we are all challenged with today, isn't it? In a busy world, in a world that is seeking to consume our time, seeking to own us in every way, isn't that the question we must grapple with and deal with every day in our life? Yes, it is. Do you truly truly love Jesus more than anything else in life? Jesus said, a real disciple, a true disciple, is one who loves me supremely. Is one who has made me the priority of his life or her life. But he doesn't stop there. Let's go back to the top of this text in verse 15. And I want us to read down through verse 17 now. I want you to hear what Jesus Christ says to Peter. He said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. In verse 17, he said to him a third time, that is Jesus to Peter, he said to him a third time, third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this is what is recorded here in Scripture. Peter was grieved. He was sad in his heart that Jesus Christ had asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter looks at Jesus Christ and he says to him in this passage of Scripture, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, okay, Peter, feed my sheep. Three times in this passage of Scripture, Jesus Christ challenges Peter with the same exact question. He asked Peter the question, Peter, do you love me? I've often wondered why it was three times that Jesus asked the question. And I often at times have wondered, why was, why was Peter grieved in his heart? Perhaps when he asked him that third time, it was like a light bulb went off in Peter's mind. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, I remember I denied him three times. Each time, Peter affirmed his love for Jesus Christ. He said, you know everything, Lord. You know that I love you. And then you know what? Each time, Jesus followed it with an admonition. He said, okay, Peter, if you truly love me, this is what I want you to do. I want you to feed my lambs. Peter, I want you to tend my sheep. Take care of them. Watch after them. Peter, feed my sheep. Three different times, he challenges him in this passage of Scripture. I have often tried to put myself in the place of Peter. Have you ever tried to do that? What must have been going on in his mind? He's sitting in front of God in the human flesh. I wonder if maybe Peter's mind went back to that great passage of Scripture where Jesus Christ referred to himself as the Good Shepherd. Maybe Peter thought about that. I, I don't really know what was going on in Peter's mind. But I love the imagery that Jesus uses in this passage of Scripture to convey a very important spiritual truth. In this passage of Scripture, He conveys this important spiritual truth in the same way that the shepherd takes care of the sheep. Peter, what I want you to do is tend, love, and take care of my people. That's what I want you to do, Peter. Now, here is the lesson that I really believe 
that Jesus is trying to teach us in this passage as followers of His. Now, I realize the meaning of this passage is directed toward Peter, and it speaks of a role that Peter would have in the early church in tending the flock of Jesus Christ. I, I, I understand that. But I do believe there is modern-day application for our life. And here is the modern-day application for our life. True disciples love others like Christ loves them. Do you see that in this passage of Scripture? Think about it for a moment. How does Jesus Christ love us? He loves us with a, a, a sacrificial, unconditional love. Isn't that true? Yes. How does a shepherd love his sheep? in the same way. Sheep are absolutely helpless apart from Jesus, I mean apart from a shepherd. But it is the shepherd according to Jesus Christ who comes to the sheep and he calls them by name. They hear his voice and they follow him. And it is the shepherd who takes them to clean, I mean, to, gra to green grass. And it is the shepherd who takes them to clean water. It is the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, who defends them against the enemy. And then Jesus Christ says, I want you to know something. I am the good shepherd. Do you see the challenge here? Do you see what Jesus Christ... Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, in the same way that I love you, I want you to love others. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Do you see the correlation? I am convinced... When God's people love like Christ loves, with a sacrificial, unconditional love, there won't be enough pews and there won't be enough chairs to hold all of the people in the churches. A unconditional, sacrificial love is a contagious, irresistible love. I think it's what drew people oftentimes to Jesus Christ. It's because He loved unlike anyone else had ever loved before. you see that? Yeah. Let me ask you a question this morning. How does your love life look? I'm not talking about your love life with your spouse. Are you loving other people with a sacrificial and unconditional love? You see, when God lives in us, the natural overflow of our life is to love like He loves. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Do you remember what Jesus Christ said? The world will know that you are mine by your good sound doctrine. No, it's not what He said, huh? I'm not saying there's not a place for that. He said, the world will know that you're mine by your love for one another, is what he said. Jesus challenged Peter to love like he loved, and he challenges us to do the same as followers of Jesus Christ. There's a third characteristic in this passage, and we're going to close with it. This is it. Disciples, true disciples of Christ, glorify God in every area of their life. Listen to what he says here in verse 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Most likely, that is a reference to the death that Peter would die. To stretch out your hands was a reference to be crucified in that day and time. 
Now listen to what he says here in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now I want you to think about the life of Peter. Here is a man who glorified God in life and in death. We don't have all of the details surrounding his death here in this passage of Scripture, but church history does record for us how Peter died. You know how he died? Just like Jesus died, he was crucified. But what's unusual about his crucifixion when he realized he was going to be crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel as though he was worthy to, be, uh, to die like Jesus died. Can you imagine that? But you read the rest of the story. Read the book of Acts. It's a great man of God. He's one of the first apostles to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He writes First and Second Peter. Here was a man whose life exemplified what it means to glorify God in every area of his life, in life as well as in death. Do you see that? And I would tell you this morning, God expects nothing less of you in my life but to glorify Him with our lives. He does. Now, some of you may say, well, how do I do that, Brother Jeff? Well, there's one key. Here it is. By dying to self. By dying to self. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians, the second chapter in the 20th verse, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That is the key. The true disciple in Christ has come to understand all that I am and all that I have belongs to Him. And I'm going to use it to glorify His name. You do realize that's the reason why He created us. is to bring honor and glory to His name. Our salvation, the very salvation we have in Christ, speaks more about God's glory than it does about us. Wow, isn't that amazing? But it does. It does. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you glorifying God in every area of your life? Are you glorifying God in your marriage, men and women? Are you glorifying God as the spiritual leader of your family, men? Are you glorifying God in your profession? Are you glorifying God with the money that He's given you? Are you? True disciples choose to glorify the Lord in every area of their life. You know, this morning when I started this sermon, I asked the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? And I said, we're going to look at a story that I really believe answers that question for us. But you know, I believe the more important question is this. The question that we all need to ask ourselves this morning. And that's this question. Am I a disciple of Christ? Is Jesus Christ the priority of your life? Do you love Him supremely above everything else? I don't know your heart, 
But I can tell you there is one who does know your heart. And he doesn't miss anything. Are you glorifying God in your actions and with what he's given you? Have you made him the priority of your life? Are you loving others like Christ loves you? This morning, I'm going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to have a hymn of invitation. It's going to give us an opportunity to respond to the Lord in whatever manner we need to respond today. For some of you this morning, what you may be dealing with is, Brother Jeff, I have no clue what you're talking about. I don't know what it is to be a disciple of Christ. This is the first time I've ever even heard about this person, Jesus Christ. Well, I could tell you He loves you, and He died for you so that you could have a relationship with God. And if you want to know how that can take place in your life, I would be glad to share with you how you can have a relationship with Him. If you would only come this morning, I would be glad to share with you about that. If you're here this morning, and maybe the question you're dealing with is not that, but a life that is truly dedicated unto the Lord. Maybe that's the starting place you need to be at. You may need to say, you know, God, all that I am and all that I have, I'm giving it to you today. It's yours. You take it, you do with it whatever you want. It's yours. Whatever decision God is impressing upon your heart this morning, I encourage you to make. As Brother Andy and the instrumentalists come this way, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then it's going to start our time of invitation. Father God, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word this morning and the way it speaks into our hearts and into our lives. Father, I pray right now during this time of invitation that your spirit would continue to work, that your spirit would continue to stir our spirits and draw us unto you. And Lord, that you would put your finger on the places of our hearts that need to be given unto you, that we need to surrender to you completely. Father, if there are people here this morning who have never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today would be that day where they would come into a relationship with you. Father, we give you this time of invitation. And Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.